want to give you three critical reasons today why you need the church, why you need to go to church. You need to be in fellowship with the body of Christ in some capacity. But I'd like you to go with me, first of all, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to read one verse. And this one verse is going to give us our outline for the whole teaching today. Uh, and with each of our main points, I'm going to give you two subpoints that have a scripture reference attached to it. You're not going to turn there. I'm going to read it to you, and you can go look at it later and, and further your study on this topic. But I really want us to understand that there was something the early church understood that we've got to recover in the way that we do church, uh, whether it's on Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoons, Tuesdays, whatever the case might be. They understood something that we've got to latch on to if we're going to stand in the hour of time that we're facing. So again, why do we need church? Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verse 42. This is right after the disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit. That power took them out into the streets. Peter preached his first sermon. 2,000 people answered the altar call, and now they've got this infant church. What do they do with her? What do they do with this new bride that Jesus is creating for himself? Well, verse 42 tells us what they did. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These were practices that the early Christians saw the value of. They were devoted to them. And that's a, a very strong word. It has to do with being diligently occupied with something. You, you so latch your heart onto it that you are committed to making sure you're engaged in it. These practices of the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer. And we have to see the importance of them for our generation because we have to be doing the same stuff. We have to. You know, church going in some ways is uh, really one of the most ridiculous practices that's ever existed in the history of civilization. Let's think about this. Who in their right mind goes and sits in a room and for half an hour or more lets somebody tell them how to live their life and how to think? Because guess what? That's exactly what's about to happen. That's what I'm about to do. I'm going to tell you how to live, how to think, and that's, that's pretty scary. It really is. I mean, this is no laughing matter. This is not some light thing that we do. I mean, I don't take this lightly at all. It makes me tremble. It really does. I'm, I'm responsible for communicating to you what God has said about himself. And then you're responsible for going home and putting it into practice. These are weighty eternal matters. And the early church was committed to it. And we're in a generation right now that really recoils at the idea or notion of authority. Authority is very closely associated with corruption and tragically for very good reasons at times. But we in the church are expected to embrace that, to embrace being in a position of remaining teachable, remaining moldable. And that's going to actually be our first main point for today. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. First reason we go to church is to be under authority. That is the main, first main reason that we go to church, to be under authority. The first thing the Bible says the early church devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. The apostles were the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. They saw the whole thing, and they were now responsible for passing on to future generations what Jesus said about himself, 
what he said about his father, and what he said about his kingdom. And the teachings of the apostles have been preserved for us in the Bible. And it is the responsibility of pastors and teachers, evangelists, prophets, whatever role God might install in a leadership position, it is their responsibility to be diligently at study, to be engaged in this thing, to make sure that they are to the best of their ability communicating rightly, not what they think about God, but what God has said about himself. That's what the apostles were responsible for. They were not popularizing their ideas and their notions. They were constantly telling the church, this is what Jesus told us about himself. This is what we are to believe. This is what we are to be clinging to and centering ourselves around as a community. And because if you'll direct your attention again at the screen, we have to understand that God deserves to be understood on his own terms. God deserves to be understood on his own terms. Listen to 2 John 9. It says, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. There's this popularized one-liner that floats around in certain circles of the church that I just really want to see eliminated from our our vocabulary, our phraseologies. Give me Jesus. I don't need theology or doctrine. It's like a man saying, I I want my wife, man. I just, I don't need to know her favorite flower. I don't need to know anything about her. What do you think is going to happen to that guy? Anything's going to happen to that marriage. You want your wife, but you don't want to know her? What does that even mean? I mean, what kind of healthy, successful marriage has no growth and knowledge involved in it whatsoever? I mean, that, that is a ridiculous notion. But somehow, the enemy, I believe, has gotten us tricked into this place where, you know, we don't need knowledge. We, no, the Bible says it explicitly, clearly, that if you want to know this Jesus, you've got to know what he said about himself. Right now, we're living in an age where you are told on a regular basis through various mediums, you can choose for yourself what you want to believe and what you want to reject. And that comes into the church sometimes. We think we can cherry pick what we want to believe about God, what works for us, what offends us. We can cling to certain things and lay others aside. No, if this book says it, we are duty bound as followers of Jesus Christ to submit to the whole thing, to submit to the whole thing. We don't get to choose. Well, I like what it says about God in the New Testament. That's really loving and kind. But the Old Testament, man, it just seems like another God, which isn't true. The answer is not throw out the system. The answer is ask questions. Come in and say, look, how does this work? If if this is what God has said about himself, how should we understand this? You are so blessed to have pastors who want to have a service like this one, who want to have a time like the one o'clock where you can bring your questions. You can be taught the basics of the Christian faith because it's getting scary out there. It's getting really scary out there. We've got to be grounded in the word. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teachings. Now, the next sub point that I want to bring up with this, I felt compelled to do because I had an interesting experience recently at our church. I had a lady come in. She was, she was new to our congregation at the time, and uh, she's a very, very loved part of our family now. Now, we've gotten to know her. One of the first things I remember her saying to me, first conversation we had early on, she said, I don't trust pastors. And I'm thinking... What are you doing here? You know, why are you telling me? I mean, you know, don't worry about my feelings at all. Then I got to know her and I heard her story. And she came from a church that was very, very abusive. 
from the leadership on down, uh, it, all the abuse centered around gender. Uh, you know, if you're a woman, uh, just you're really at the bottom of the ladder. If your husband's unfaithful, you probably weren't doing enough to satisfy him. If, if he's mad at you, you're not being submissive. That's what she's had drilled into her head by her pastors. That's her church experience. But she loved Jesus. She didn't want to leave his church. She knew that she's supposed to be under some kind of teaching, so she comes to us, but she was going to tell me from the beginning. And I had two options in that moment. I could have said, you know what? I can let my feelings be hurt. I can get all offended and say, how dare you impose your past experiences on me? Or I could have done what Jesus would do and what he would have me do, and I could have taken on the responsibility of earning her trust. I could have taken on that responsibility. And, and by God's grace, I and my, my fellow associate pastor there, we did that. And she knows she's safe. She knows she's loved. And I, I thank God for that because there's a sacred trust. And if you'll look again at the screen, the, the trust between pastor and congregation is sacred. It's sacred. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 2 to 3. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When we talk about the Christian community, there is an expectation that the people of God be submissive to teaching. There is an expectation that they be submissive to the word that's coming from the pulpit, that they honor the vessels that God has chosen to communicate his revelation through. But there is an equally great responsibility on those communicating that revelation, that they are to be like Jesus. If they're going to shepherd, they better look like the great shepherd. And when we stand, I know I can speak for every man and woman who stands in this pulpit. That is the mentality we come up here with. If I'm not willing to cry over you, I don't deserve to tell you how to live your life. If I don't look at you with that kind of love and compassion, I don't deserve to be up here. That's the mentality I am duty bound to have when I stand here. There's got to be mutual trust within the Christian community. There's got to be trust for leadership. There's got to be love from leadership. There has to be. And I know for a fact you are well loved in this house. And God helping us, you always will be. You always will be. But this is how the circle runs itself. We go to church to be under authority. We go to church to be under authority. The second reason that we go to church is for friendship. We go to church for friendship. The book of Acts tells us that they devoted themselves not just to the teaching of the apostles, but to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Did you know that there's power in Christian fellowship? Did you know that having a circle of Christian friends, people who are able to challenge you and support you, will actually enable you to live a holy life? That's biblical. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And then I want to give you the next few points on this. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that's, of course, speaking of the day of Jesus's return. If you look again at the screen, I want to tell you two things about Christian fellowship. First of all, Christian fellowship enables holy living. It enables holy living. When you have people in your life that you know you can call when you have fallen, that you know will be able to ask you, so how's your week going? You know, that really honest kind of, how's your week going? And you know you can let your guard down. You can be vulnerable. You will be surprised at the things you're able to say no to 
that you've always given into previously. Christian fellowship enables holy living. You, you need to liberate yourselves, really. You need to liberate yourselves from any lotion, notion that if you're really spiritual, you'll be able to do this on your own. That's not a biblical mentality. That's not a biblical mentality. You cannot do it on your own. We sometimes get this notion that I've got to be able to be spiritual enough and connected to God enough that, that I'll be able to say no to temptation without any support. Where are you getting that from? You're not getting it from the scripture. The Bible says if you want to be connected to God, you've got to be connected to his people too. There's no distinction. If you want the strength of God to overcome sin, part of that does entail our private devotion. Part of that does entail our, our private experience with God and his presence and our growth and his, in the knowledge of who he is. But it also entails our connection to his body. If you're out there playing lone wolf, you're, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous and vulnerable position. You're not meant to be able to do it on your own. You're meant to do it with other people surrounding you who are worshiping the same God and heading to the same eternal home that you are. We are in this together. Christian fellowship not only enables holy living, but it's simply necessary and encouraging. It's just necessary and encouraging. Again, it says, don't give up meeting together. And by the way, Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who are being persecuted. They're suffering. The last thing they want to do is put themselves at risk by gathering all in one place. And the, the author tells them, no, don't give that up. You need that now more than ever. It's when you're in a place of vulnerability, a place of pain, that you even more need the body of Christ. Christian fellowship is empowering. It's necessary. It's encouraging. The third reason we go to church is for prayer. We go to church for prayer. That's the third thing that's brought out in the book of Acts chapter 2. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They put themselves under authority. They, they were committed to fellowship and, and the breaking of bread. They, they were bonding together, but they also prayed. They also prayed. And thank God, you're in a praying church. And folks, unless there's a super legitimate reason why you can't, you should be here Tuesday night. You should be here. To, yeah, I knew I'd get an amen from over there. You need to be here on Tuesday night. Praying together is absolutely critical to the life of a congregation. Absolutely critical. Praying together provides two things. The first thing it provides is supernatural peace. Listen to Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to give you a little pointer about studying your New Testament. Don't think about your individual Christianity before you think about your congregational Christianity. Because the letters in the New Testament, the way that it's written, the way these commands are given, the majority of the time, with very few exceptions, they are written to entire congregations telling them to think corporately. Before you apply it to your individual Christian, because it does, it does apply. When you're at home in your prayer closet, you do this, make your request known to God in the midst of anxiety, you will feel the peace of God. I'm not disqualifying that. But that's the secondary thing. The primary meaning, the primary intention that Paul has in mind is that when you pray together, 
When you are in seasons of anxiety, when you are being opposed by your society, when you are, when you are feeling attacks from the enemy and you come together and pray, you are going to feel the peace of God come over you. You're going to feel him wash all your fear, all your anxiety away, all of it. And that's the promise. That's the pattern that's presented to us in the scripture. Praying together provides supernatural peace. The second thing praying together does, and this is the big one, praying together makes us a threat to evil. Praying together makes us a threat to evil. Take that thought. Amen. Praise God. Keep that thought in mind. What I just mentioned about community thinking, thinking corporately about the Bible before we think individually. Listen to Ephesians chapter six, verses 12 and 18. Verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 18. This is the last weapon of spiritual warfare that Paul lists. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. When we pray together as the body of Christ, we become dangerous to what the devil is doing outside these walls. If you want to be a dangerous church, if you want to make the devil lose sleep at night, you got to pray and you've got to pray together. You need to be here on Tuesdays because that's what really makes the enemy quake. And it's so amazing to me that of all the things Luke, as the author of Acts, could have highlighted, of all the practices the early church had that he could have listed and said, this is what they did, he makes sure he ends the list with prayer. They prayed. They prayed together. And that's why they turned the world upside down. That's why they turned the world upside down. And we're living in an age where things need to be turned upside down because that's actually going to be right side up. Everything's being reversed right now. But God's got a light for himself in this city, in many cities across America, all across the world. There's people, just pockets of believers coming together. And if we can pray, if we can be under authority, we're committed to what does the Bible say about God? I'm not going to be my own authority figure. I'm not going to choose and decide for myself. Well, I like this. I don't like that. I'm I'm going to trust my leadership. I'm, I'm going to go in expecting I have the right to be loved. I do not have to put up with being abused, but I'm going to go in trustingly. I'm, I'm going to go in ready to be taught. I'm going to bind myself to the body of Christ. I'm going to join in fellowship with my fellow believers. I'm going to surround myself with people that not only love me, but will challenge me. They see me acting the fool. And I'm going to make sure I'm at the prayer meeting because I want to be a dangerous Christian. I want to be a dangerous Christian. And again, we know our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not dangerous to the people outside these doors. We're their only hope. We want to be dangerous to the spirits that are driving them deeper and deeper into sin. We want to be a threat to what's at root in everything that we're facing. Very simple topic, very simple teaching. Three important reasons why we need the church. We need to be together. You need to be in this house. And it's not about fulfilling an obligation. You know, I'm a little early in ending, so I'm going to throw something in here. Look, Jesus loves his bride so much. And she's broken in a lot of places. I'm going to acknowledge that. You know, God chooses to use people without perfecting them first. I don't know why, but he does. (laughs) You know? 
And that humanness makes its way through the doors pretty much every time they're open. And the problem is sometimes we use that as justification. Is, oh, I'm just not, no, I'm not bothering. It's me and Jesus, man. Just me and Jesus. Look, the solution, the solution is not to throw out the system or divorce yourself from it. Be part of the solution. You go in and you be part of it. You be the example of what is supposed to happen. You be the ideal. If you feel that there's broken areas and, well, things aren't as they should be, well, sure, it's people. We're not in heaven yet. Jesus hasn't come back. We've still got a lot of mess in here that the Holy Spirit is faithfully sorting out day by day. But we're not going to get through it if we just choose to isolate ourselves and use our failures as reasons to wash our hands of each other. That's not Christian love. That's not Christian love. Folks, you're going to meet broken people when you come in this house. You're going to meet people that are going to drive you nuts. At least you don't have to lead them. <laughs> Look, at the end of the day, we are here to love each other. We're here to walk this road together. And we are here to do for others, do for each other what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has never once rubbed my nose in my sin and, saying, and said, I'm done with you now. I don't have the right to do that to his bride. Think about what he said to that some of the churches in Revelation. Those first three chapters are really hard to get through. Because Jesus says some not nice things, you know, he has to. There's only two churches in that list of seven that don't get rebuked. And one in particular, he tells him, you know, you're, I'm ready to, your, your worship makes me want to vomit. I wish you were like cold, refreshing water or, or like soothing hot water, but you're like lukewarm water. I taste you and I, I just, I gag. It's literally what he's saying. But what did he say in that very same passage? As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Listen. If Jesus has not given up on his church yet, you and I don't have the right to. We don't have the right to. And so I'd like to invite all of us to stand. You know, I, I don't have a, a super specific altar call. I'd definitely like to invite anyone who, if you've been wounded in the house of God and you want the Lord to give you a healing touch today, your, your cry is like, Lord, I... I'm done using my pain as an excuse to push the church away or to push Christians away and not have relationships. And I certainly want to invite you to come down and ask the Lord to heal you. And I believe with all of my heart that he will. But what's really burning in me is who wants to fight for the bride? Who's done fighting against her? Who's ready to fight for her? Jesus loves her. And if your heart is stirred, then I'd like to invite you to come down. Join us at the front. We'll worship as we always do. But then let's come back and pray. Let's rebuke the enemy. Let's, let's pray for unity. Let's pray for revival. Let's believe God to bring mending where her, his bride has been broken. To get rid of the lukewarmness. To get rid of the, the compromise. Not because we're angry with her, but because we love her. We're part of her. So who wants to fight today? If you've got a fight in your heart, then make your way down. Let's do some more today. Let's make the devil nervous. Let's do that. Let's pray together in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just have something on my heart before uh, Pastor Nick comes back and to pray that this could be a life-changing moment for somebody. Now I recognize that in in this room, you know, the concept of family for many and the concept of becoming part of a larger unit of being vulnerable of sharing and praying, your your experience with family was a rather disappointing one. And so you don't mind coming to church and it's even a stretch to come into a place this crowded sometimes. But the concept, the thought of reaching out and becoming vulnerable and loving somebody uh, and trusting and 
trusting that you you won't be hurt again and or even if you are there's a reason for it a purpose to it that will actually deepen your commitment one to another Jesus brought us into community that's why it's called his body and that's there's such a beauty in fellowship and in being part of the body of Christ now it doesn't happen overnight I remember when I first walked into church uh, this guy walked up to me I was with Pastor Teresa and he told me he says I love you brother and I just stared at him and she said to me why don't you tell me you love him back I said I don't even like the guy why don't I tell him I love him but that's where we start from you know because people had been a source of pain in my life in the early years the pre-Christian years but I've learned the incredible value of the body of Christ the, the the ingeniousness of God's design to have a church and where it functions by that which every person supplies the encouragement the prayer the caring the the, the words uh, that we give one to another and so if we live on the periphery of the church per se the church body not the building if we live on the periphery of the body we actually we forfeit something very very beautiful that God wants to do if you are our at least desirous to be vulnerable again, maybe for the first time in a long, long time. I want to ask you just to consider stepping out and just coming forward just as an act of faith. Nobody's going to ask you to share your experience or say anything, but just as an act of faith. God, if your church is as beautiful as the Bible describes it, if, if it does something that is just shatters even darkness, it's so powerful. If the fellowship is so strengthening, then I want to be part of this. I don't know how. You're going to have to lead me into it. I don't know how to do this. I'm, and I'm wary and I'm scared to do this. But Lord, seeing in your word that it is a beautiful thing to be part of your church body, then I, I'm, I'm just stepping out in faith and saying, God, would, would you do, would you lead me into understanding what it means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, I pray, oh God, for every person who has come down here, Lord, seeking the courage to be open and vulnerable again. God, those who've been hurt, those who've been wounded, oh God, Lord, whether it's pain that has come from past fellowship with other Christians, fellowship within the church, or those who are simply carrying baggage from the past, and they're bringing it in, and they want to get past it. God, whatever category they might fit in, maybe both, Lord, I thank you that you are stronger, Lord. Lord, your love is deeper than the wounds, O oh God. Lord, your love is more powerful than the scars. And I'm asking you to put a healing touch upon their souls right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray, Lord, that the reality of your love would break in on their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Lord, that an understanding, Lord, an overwhelming understanding of how much God loves them, Lord, would flood their hearts with courage to say, you know what? I'm gonna dare to be open. I'm going to dare to love and be loved. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you made yourself the ultimate example. You know what it is to risk loving only to be rejected. You know what that is because you did it, Lord. You know what that is, oh God. And Lord, I thank you that you understand that kind of pain. But Lord, you do beckon to us in the midst of our own, God. And you say, I want to get you past that. I can heal you of that. You're, you're going to isolate yourself from something powerful, something wonderful, something beautiful. And Lord, my brothers and sisters have come down responding to that cry in your heart today. 
So God, honor their faith now, Lord. Honor their faith and flood their hearts, flood their minds, oh God, with healing virtue. Lord, any ill word that's been spoken over them that they're afraid of hearing from somebody else's lips, God, I pray that you would wash away the pain of that, God. You would give them victory over it, Lord. God Almighty, any any pain of betrayal, Lord Jesus Christ, God, where maybe they were taken advantage of, Lord, where they should have been protected, oh God, they were exposed. Whatever the case might be, Lord, you can heal every wound. And Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that there are people in this room right now, God, there are people down to that altar right now, Lord Jesus, that are committed to being as loving as they can possibly be. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would so make us like you, that this would really be a safe place for the wounded God. This would truly be a safe place, oh God, for the most broken among us, oh Lord. Oh God, take everything out of us that would make us despise somebody, Lord that would make us look down on someone. Lord, help us to leave all of our assumptions about people at the door. Oh God, set us free from every kind of prejudice, every kind of preconceived idea that we might think, well, a person comes from that kind of life, so they they must be this way. No, Lord God. Lord, it doesn't matter if they're in this house. They're worthy of love. They're worthy of dignity. They're worthy of care. Oh God, set us free to love like that. Lord, set us free to love like that, oh Jesus. God, we... We are a part of your bride. And Lord, I pray that you would cause her to live again where she's broken, oh Lord. God, I pray that you would make us a dangerous church in this city, oh God. Lord, I've heard from so many people who have visited this house. I don't know how a big church can feel so friendly. God, let that testimony live on in these walls, oh God. Let that testimony grow brighter, Lord Jesus, that this would be a house, oh God. It says it on the marquee out there. God, let it be the church that love is building. Oh God, the things that that people are weeping and screaming over outside and on the news. God, let those things be absent in this house, oh God. Lord, let there be love and unity, oh God, in this place. Lord Jesus Christ, come upon us by the power of your spirit to have real brotherly love. Real brotherly love, oh Lord God. Whatever it looks like, Lord. God, may our worship always be sweet to you. Lord, may our worship always be sweet to you and pleasing to you, oh God. Lord, may it never be, oh God. May we never need to hear the words that you you had to speak to Leo to say. Oh God, let our worship be refreshing to you. Let it be soothing to you, oh God. Because when you look on us, you see hearts like yours. When you look on us, you see hearts like yours, oh God. Jesus, help us to be the church that you deserve. God, I pray for those of us that that teach, oh God, and preach. God, help us to shepherd like you do. Oh God, make us like you, Lord, in the way that we love, Lord. May we sound like you, oh God. Lord, even if we've got to rebuke and we've got to correct, we want to sound like Jesus. Oh God, we don't ever want to sound like what we should think we ought to sound like, God. We, we want to sound like you in everything, oh Lord. God, help us to take on the challenge of earning trust, of earning respect, oh God, by the way that we love, by the way that we lead. God, I pray that you would help everyone who calls this their home church, Lord, to operate in a place of submission, oh God, that their hearts would be yielded to godly teaching. Their hearts would be yielded to the word of God, that we would never become idolaters, shaping a Jesus that, that reflects our, our appetites, that reflects our, our preferences. No, Lord, we, we embrace the full revelation of God. Lord, I pray that you would bind us together in close friendships, oh Lord. God, help us to be courageous and, and, and Lord, tell that brother, tell that sister, would you please call me? so we can pray together. Can we have a time every week where we just, we get together and we ask each other how the week is going, where we challenge each other, we build each other up. Oh God, and teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. 
Lord, when we gather in this house, oh God, at, at every altar call, at every prayer meeting, oh Lord, let there be a sound of heaven, oh God, that, that just echoes in these walls, Lord, that, that goes out into the streets, Lord Jesus. We want to be a threat to what Satan's trying to do. And we understand that's only going to come by prayer. It's only going to come by prayer. God, you have given us so many outlines in your word of what you want your bride to look like. And Lord, we know that in so many ways, in so many areas, yeah, there's, we could be doing a lot better. There are always going to be broken areas because you've called and used broken people. Lord, thank you for being humble enough to do that, God. So Lord, just let us get as close as we can. God, let us be the closest representation of you we can possibly be on this side of eternity. God, change us. God, confront us where you must. Affirm us, Lord, where we're doing well. But God, keep on changing us, Lord. Keep on changing us and let this be a house for your glory, God. Let this be a house for your glory. We love you, Jesus. And we pray all these things in your precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen and amen. Praise be to God. Praise be to God.